sweet, precious, powerful name of Jesus. He has the power to break every chain and to do for us exactly what we need. So as we have already spoken that name through the message and song that has shown us the gospel, I pray we would continue to speak that name as we open up your written word, that you would speak his name into our lives through the reading of his word. And as we try to understand what you would have us to learn about Jesus today, I pray that our eyes would be open, our ears would be receptive, and our heart would be ready to receive what you have for us in these moments. And it's in that name of Jesus that we pray, amen and amen. I want to invite you to find your Bible and look with me in the book of Esther, Esther chapter 2. Jesus is better in any and every way than anything anyone else will ever experience in this life. And we are working through the book of Esther seeing just that. Even though the name Jesus does not appear in the book of Esther, you certainly see uh, pictures of Jesus and you see people who point us to Jesus and we learn that Jesus is indeed better. So today we're going to look at Esther chapter 2 verses 1 through 18, and I want to speak to you this morning and title the sermon this way, Jesus is a better Savior. We have to be careful to avoid reading Scripture in what I will call a religious way. Here's how religious people read Scripture. When a religious person reads Scripture, they see good people and they see bad people, and they have the idea that you need to be like the good people. The accurate way to read Scripture is that there are bad people and there's Jesus. <laughs> that Scripture's full of bad people, and there's only one who is really good, and his name is Jesus. And today we're going to read about a few people. Some of them we've met before, Erxes. Some of them we have yet to meet in the book, Mordecai and Esther. And as we read about them, I want to challenge you to not read them in a religious way, to, to not try to say, okay, well, this is good, this is bad, this is to follow, this is what we don't. I want you to read it from the context of there is one good person, Jesus, and everybody else follows short of that. Each of these people, like each of us, have failures and faults and flaws, and we're going to see how God interacts with them in each of their lives. Let's first meet again Erxes the Jerxes, okay? Erxes the Jerxes is how our chapter opens up in Esther chapter 2, let's look at verse 1. And after these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus or Erxes had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. You remember that Erxes lost his temper, sent his wife away, and then woke up one day about four years later and realized that there was no one there to console him. 
He was totally depressed. He broke up with her because she had the audacity to tell him no, even when he was the wrong in the he was the one in the wrong. And had he repented, that relationship might have been mended, but he did not repent. And so verse 2 tells us that the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa the citadel under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them. So we got a Mary Kay party now at this point. And let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. The great king Xerxes, who rules over the great Persian empire, the most powerful man on earth at this time, the richest man on the face of the earth at this time, is lonely, sad, depressed, and he just received some very bad counsel. Well, let's, let's meet Mordecai. Mordecai is a major person in this narrative. He appears some 52 times in the book. Verse 5 tells us, now there was a Jew in Susa. He's not supposed to be in Susa, by the way. He's supposed to be in Jerusalem. There was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shammai, son of Kish, a Benjamite, that is the lineage of King Saul, uh, a Benjamite who had been carried away from Jerusalem. He's carried from Jerusalem where God's presence lives uh, among the captives carried away when Jeconia, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He, Mordecai, was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman, Esther, had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, that is, this could get all the virgins and let's find me a wife, and when many young women were gathered in Susa the citadel in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who was in charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or her kindred. She had yet to tell anyone she was a Jew. For Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Let me pause for a second to help us understand how Mordecai got here. And a lot of this I'm going to take from the book of Daniel and just kind of condense it down to you, okay? God allowed a king, his name was Nebuchadnezzar, God allowed a king to come in and to take his people as a consequence, as a punishment for their sin 
to exile them to a place called Babylon. Well, another king comes along after Nebuchadnezzar is out of the picture, and uh, this king doesn't worship God, but this king at least has a benevolent heart toward the people of God. His name is King Cyrus, and he makes a decree that God's people were free to leave Babylon and go back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where they should be. And through another prophet whose name was Isaiah, God instructed all the people to return to Jerusalem to go back to this place. Jerusalem is where they're supposed to be. Jerusalem was given to these people by God to be their home. They were to have a temple in Jerusalem. They were to worship God in Jerusalem. They were to be the people of God in the presence of God. This is very important to be away from Jerusalem in the Old Testament. To be away from Jerusalem was literally to be away from God. And so Isaiah issues a decree. Isaiah says it's not optional. God wants all his people to go back to Jerusalem, but Mordecai is in Susa. Mordecai is part of the disobedient people of God who at this moment to some degree is living in rebellion before God. By staying in this pagan nation, Mordecai and his family did not walk after God, nor were they worshiping God. Staying in Susa was an indication of compromise and sin. They're disobeying the Old Testament. They're going to be eating food that they're not supposed to eat. They're going to be living where they're not supposed to be living. They're going to be doing things they're not supposed to be doing. Now, to his credit, Mordecai does a good thing. He adopts Esther, his cousin, but then he encourages her to go to the Persian bachelorette contest. And he encourages her to enter this beauty contest to win the favor of this king. Now, he's worried about her. He checks on her every day, but he doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything. You know what? I am a lot like Mordecai, and so are you. Sometimes we sin through commission. We do what we shouldn't do, like Xerxes. And sometimes we sin through omission, like Mordecai. We don't do what we're supposed to do. And then comes Esther. Esther enters the narrative. Esther is a, a major character in the story. She's mentioned some 55 times. She's an orphan. She's adopted, likely in her teens or early 20s. She belongs to God. She's a Jew, but she doesn't show it publicly at first. She's very passive at first. She hasn't spoken or done anything. She doesn't seem to have many of her own convictions. All the decisions are being made for her. What will Esther do? She's in the harem at the spa. She's got her number and is in line. Her night is coming. Her one night with the king. What will 
she do? Glad you ask. Look at verse 12. <coughs> now when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ahasuerus, after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women, when the young woman went in to the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in. Note, they start the contest at bedtime. I don't think I have to explain, do I? I hope not. If I do, come your little, kid, little ears, come see me after service. In the evening, she would go in. In the morning, she would return to the second harem in the custody of Shishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishish
Aye? All right. Xerxes, it bothers me that a lot of y'all are like, I don't know. Yeah, Xerxes was an awful man. Xerxes is a Xerxes, okay? We know that for sure. At the end of the book, we know that Esther is a very godly woman. She's no longer passive, but very active. She speaks for herself, not just allowing others to speak for her. She is bold. She is brave. She takes a risk for the glory of God. So by the time we get to the end of the book, by all means, yes, Esther is a godly woman. Esther is a difficult book and person to interpret. It tells us that she went into the king's bedroom. She came out of the king's bedroom, and she won the contest. It doesn't tell us what she thought or how she felt or what her motives were or even for sure what they did, although I think we all know what they did. Esther is told in a way that doesn't tell us feelings, emotions, thoughts, motivations, or intentions. It's just the fact. So basically, people have concluded that the answer to this question was Esther always a godly woman. And I think it speaks to us today. Basically, they've landed in a couple different areas. Some people would say that Esther was always a godly one from beginning to end. In fact, they have made a movie years ago about Esther's life. Some of you may have seen it. It was called One Night with the King. And the way that that movie, that film, portrays Esther is that she basically memorized the Bible, got some Beth Moore Bible studies, went to the harem, and had church for a year. I don't know that that's exactly what happened. But you see, the reason that some people want to tell the story this way is because they view Scripture from a purely religious perspective. If you believe that there are only good people and bad people and that only good people are loved by God and bad people can't do anything for God, you will read Esther this way. Because Esther's not making the wisest of choices here at the beginning. If this is the case... If, if God only uses good people who never make mistakes, then I'm going to have to be my own Savior and straighten out what I have made crooked. Moreover, and even worse than that, God doesn't love bad people if you read it from the religious way, and so God can't use bad people. People who approach God this way, do good and God will bless you. Don't do good and God won't bless you. Miss the entire message of grace. That God loves us and uses the undeserving and the ill-deserving. Here's where I think is a better place to land. And I'll own this question. I'm not landed the sermon plane yet. I gotta get I got a bit more to go. But to land the plane on this question. And let me pose it to you like this. The day after you were saved. The day after you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, the day after you trusted him for your salvation, and the days that followed, have you sinned since then? The answer is yes. If you say no, you just did. You see, when we come to faith in Jesus, we are not made perfect. That's coming. 
We still struggle with sin. There is this idea of of, of progressive sanctification. And and I believe that Esther was a work in progress. And I believe that she became more godly as her life progressed. When you meet the God of the Bible, you change. And the longer you walk with him, the more you change. You see, Esther kind of had a dual identity. She was kind of in the world and kind of in God's kingdom. She was kind of sinning, and she was kind of obeying. She was kind of spiritual, and she was kind of not spiritual. I believe that she did not start out as the most godly of women, but by the end, I believe she is certainly among the most godly of women to ever live. A couple of reasons I come to that conclusion. You see, at this point in Esther, it's not just Esther who's not walking with God. No one is walking with God. No one is praying. No one is worshiping. No one is offering a sacrifice for their sin. And I'm not picking on Esther. It's not just Esther that's not godly. There's no one who's following God. She's living far away from God. That command was given to go to Jerusalem where the presence of God was, but she's not there. She's living far away in rebellion to God just like we do. You see, our story is much like her story. We have broken some commandments. We have hidden our faith. We have tried to keep one foot in the world And we've lived an inconsistent life. I find encouragement. I find hope in Esther's story because I am like her. I believe that what happens to Esther is that God gets her heart. She has a conversion experience of sorts, and she begins to grow as a spiritual woman. I do not want to condemn Esther today. Rather, I want to invite everyone whose story is like Esther to meet her God and to change like Esther changed. See, Esther... Her story is a story of hope for the hopeless. It reminds us that God takes messed up people. He takes rebellious people. He takes people who are not walking with him. He takes people who even right now may not be obeying him, people who aren't close to him, and he gives those kind of people. And by those kind of people, I mean me and I mean you. He gives us grace and favor. He gives us hope. So here's what we take away. From Esther in this context. Here's the hope we learn. Number one, God walks with you even when you don't walk with him. Amen? Amen. He walks with you even when you don't walk with him. <clears throat> Esther's not going to synagogue. She's not reading scripture. She's not offering sacrifices. She's not praying. Esther is not walking with God, but God is walking with Esther. And through his hand of providence, God is working through the circumstances of her life. Even when Esther makes bad decisions that gets her in bad situations, God is still there working it out, working with her and working on her. Some of you today say, I've not been walking with God. Good news, God's been walking with you. 
You hadn't been walking with God, but God's been walking with you, and he's right there, not far. Number two, God gives his favor and grace to undeserving people. The concepts of favor and grace are laced throughout this text. This is God looking down and choosing to bless us and love us and save us and help us and work with us even when we don't deserve it. We don't get what we deserve, but Jesus gets what we deserve instead. Lesson three, God can get you through the trouble you've gotten yourself into. Many of us are like Esther at the early part of her story. Our lives get complicated because of either choices we've made or others have made that impact us. I want you to hear me. God gets Esther through her situation. He doesn't get her out of the situation. He doesn't get her around the situation. God works through his invisible hand of providence to get Esther through this situation. This is what God is doing in your life. Even if you have made decisions and others have made bad decisions that get you into a difficult position, God will, by his providential hand, get you through it. For you see, ultimately, ultimately, Esther is a shadow of Christ. She is a picture pointing us to Jesus. Like Esther, Jesus grew up far away from his heavenly true home. Like Esther, Jesus grew up in a sinful world filled with temptation to compromise. Like Esther, the identity of Jesus was unknown. For his early years, people did not see him as God. Like Esther, Jesus was adopted and brought into a family by a man named Joseph. Like Esther, Jesus grew up in poor and humble circumstances. And, And like Esther, Jesus was an unlikely choice for royalty. And like Esther, Jesus will save his people from death that we'll get to later in the book. But I would submit to you this morning that Jesus is a better Savior than Esther because Jesus never compromised in the slightest bit and he fully proclaimed his identity as the Son of God. In the book of Esther, she is able to save her people from physical death, but she's powerless to change the spiritual hearts of those people. Jesus is able to save us from spiritual death because he changes the very hearts of sinners. Jesus is a better Savior than Esther. He's a better Savior than religion. He's a better Savior than you. (laughs) Jesus is a better Savior. My question to you this morning is do 
you have a relationship with this Savior who is better than all other Saviors. Has there been a time in your life when you realized that you were a sinner? That you realized that there were things that you were not being faithful to do? That the Holy Spirit brought conviction to your heart and let you know that you needed someone to save you from the mess that you had created with your sin. Having gone through that experience, having come to that realization, has there been a time in your life when you cried out to this better Savior? And in your crying out to him, you simply admitted your sin. You confessed your sin to him. You confessed your belief to him that he died the death we should have died, rose victorious from the grave so we can have life forevermore. What is your next step this morning? We're going to see if the book of Esther ended here, it would be kind of a, a, that'd be a bad series to preach. But her story doesn't end there. She's going to start taking some steps And God's going to use her to save the physical lives of an entire race, nation of people. But she takes next steps. What about your next step? What is God calling you to do? Is he calling you to salvation? Is he calling you to himself? Is he calling you to follow the example of Jesus to be baptized as a testimony to all those who see that you are a follower of Jesus? Is he calling you to join the family of faith here at First Baptist Milton to help us accomplish the mission and the ministry that God's given us to accomplish in this world so we can declare the message that Jesus is a better Savior? I don't know what God's placed on your heart, but I just want to encourage you to say yes, to put your yes on the table to whatever God has placed on that table. So I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and sing. This altar is open. If you need to come down here and pray, if you need to come down here and make a commitment to to take your next step, that's great. Come do that. If you want to make that commitment right where you sit, that's fine too. God doesn't care where you are when you make your commitment. He's just looking for your commitment today. Will you take the next step? and what God is calling you to do. Father God, I thank you that you went through this world and never compromised, that there was never a doubt as to your identity as the Son of God. Even when others tried to paint a different picture, you were faithful to remain on course to the cross to make it possible today for every single person to have a relationship with God through you. You are our king, our better savior. Whatever step you're calling each of us to make today, I pray that we would take that step for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.